I'd invite you to turn in your Bibles to Nehemiah if you haven't already. Nehemiah chapter 4 is where we are this week. The passage is found in your bulletin as well. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along there. Listen as I read. Nehemiah chapter 4. We're going to read the whole chapter this morning. Now when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, Yes, what they are building, if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt, and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry and they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, you must Return to us. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. 
The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread, and we are separated on the wall, far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So we labored at the work, and half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at that time, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem, that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes, each kept his weapon at his right hand. This is the word of the Lord. Well, simply put, as we've been studying the book of Nehemiah, those of you who have been here know the progression of our story. Nehemiah, chosen by God to come return to the land of promise, return to the city of promise, Jerusalem, to help rebuild the wall that has been broken and in disrepair for many, many years. He comes. He begins the work. Things are going well. And then simply put, the wall hits a wall. The wall hits a wall, so to speak. Perhaps you have felt or are even feeling now like the Israelites felt or must have felt then. Many of them, after years of discouragement and displacement and disrepair, things are finally starting to look up. Things are running smoothly for a time anyway. Nehemiah has come. God has provided the man. This gigantic task is now underway. A wall two miles long, 20 feet high, 4 feet wide. And they're almost halfway there. Until now. Well, this morning I'd like to continue with a theme that we have been carrying through the first three chapters of this book of Nehemiah. And it's a theme that will carry its way all the way through the book. Namely, this book is about God's work. This book is about God's work. Yes, Nehemiah shows us wonderful things. He's an example in many different ways. But ultimately, this is about God's work. About what God is doing through Nehemiah, what God is doing through his people. And so there are three truths that I want us to see from this passage this morning that I want us to focus our hearts on for a while. And the first one is this. God's work will face opposition. God's work will face opposition. You see, many probably didn't recall it. They weren't around, but this was nothing new for God's people. This was nothing new for ancient Israel. They had already experienced a form of this opposition in the first phase of this rebuilding 
of the city. Remember, we're in the third phase of the rebuilding, but the first phase is recorded back in Ezra 4, and there's a faced opposition in rebuilding the temple. And those who opposed him, opposed him with discouragement, with fear, with slander. Those were the tactics that were used to oppose God's work there. Well, here in Nehemiah chapter 4, just a book later, the same tactics are being used. This is a story. This is a drama. It's not a story in terms of a fairy tale. It's history. But the story gets interesting here. It gets kind of dramatic. And it begins with just these two regional officials that are standing by, Sanballat and Tobiah. We've already heard about them briefly. They're standing by, and the text says that they were angry. But for now, it's just, it's just words. God's people are doing their work. They're working away on the wall. And they just start spewing words. Words of hate. Words of anger. You see, it's just words because, after all, God's people are here not just because they have a divine right to the land, but because they have a legal right to be doing what they're doing. They're here by the permission of the king. Sanballat and Tobiah knew that, and so the opposition that God's work begins to be faced with is just a string of rhetorical questions spoken loud enough so that all the army could hear. So that all the army could get a laugh. You see, Sanballat knew how to build morale in his troops. How to get them going. Have you ever tried to get into someone's head? Particularly you guys. I do this when I'm not good at a particular sport. If I'm going to play you in a particular sport and I'm not good, I might as well just have fun with it and try to get into your head. A couple years back, I played a friend of mine who was a Division I, former Division I tennis player. And I knew I didn't have a chance. So I pulled my socks up to my knees. I put on my John McEnroe headband. I came out all crazy like he didn't know what I was going to do. And it didn't work. It didn't work. I got killed. And of course, I knew I wouldn't really be able to get in his head, but I just wanted to have fun. And Sanballat here is, he's not choking. He's not playing. But he is trying to get into the heads of God's people in the worst kind of way. He's out to discourage and demoralize them while he entertains his boys, his troops. And so he belittles them in their resolve. What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Emphasis on they. Remember, we talked about two weeks ago in Nehemiah chapter 3 that this was a, a community project. This was a project that involved everyone. Families were involved. Kids were involved. 
People who had no business lifting stones or trying to build a wall were involved in this community project. This was not a professional construction site. This was a ragtag bunch of builders. So Sam Ballad is saying, are you kidding? Do you guys really think that you are going to be able to pull this off? That you guys are going to be able to build this wall? He mocks them and he tries to to squelch their enthusiasm and their optimism. Will they sacrifice? Will they finish it up in a day? Well, maybe they need to sacrifice. Sure looks like they need a little divine intervention to get this thing up. Then he reminds them of one of their greatest challenges. Will they revive these stones out of the heaps of rubbish? Burned ones at that? Even the building materials were against them. Many of the stones had been burned and charred so much that they were just crumbling. This was a difficult, difficult task. Sanballat knows it. And he's making it even more difficult. And then Tobiah, the the ancient stand-up comedian, comes in and says... Yeah, what they're building, if a fox goes up on that, he'll break down the wall. Doesn't sound very funny to us, but I'm sure there were some ha-has rippling throughout the army as they stood by. God's work will face opposition. Well, did these words, did all the name-calling all the verbal badgering, did it, did it get to God's people? Did it begin to get them? Well, I think it did. I think they internalized it. It wore on them. They, they cry out to God, and we'll get more specifically to that cry that they cried. But it obviously had some effect on them, just these words. But for the most part, God's people were persistent. They were focused and Nehemiah writes, so they built the wall. The people had a mind to work. And you can imagine this made these regional governors all the more incensed. And not just them, but others. Others who had now joined this crowd. Remember a couple years back, uh, George, then President George Bush called three countries in our modern world, the the axis of evil. Well, here in this ancient history, we have the, the circle of enemies, so to speak, around God's people. Literally, God's people were, were cut off. They were on an island, so to speak, here in ancient Jerusalem. Sanballat and his army of Samaria was was from the north. They ruled in the north. Tobiah and the Ammonites sat to the east. The Arabs came from the south and the Ashdodites hailed from the west. Well, suddenly this is, this is a whole other situation for God's people. Now there are weights behind the words. There, these aren't just words now. These are plots. These are plans. Plans for a sneak attack to to kill, to confuse, to discourage, to bring about death. These governors knew that a full frontal daytime attack would never do. 
God's people were there with legal standing. But perhaps they could use guerrilla tactics, pick off a few in the night, discourage, demoralize, put fear in the hearts of everyone who worked. Now this, this was serious opposition. This is opposition that seems to begin to win the day. We read in verse 10, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There's too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. Maybe this is too tall a task for us. Is this really worth risking my life for? I mean, I've got a family that I've got to worry about. I've got a family that I've got to care for. And in verse 12, we hear these surrounding Jews saying, you must return to us. Remember, there were those that had come from around the city, from villages far, to work in Jerusalem. And now families back in those villages are getting nervous. You've got to come back. This is not just a construction project anymore. There's a safety issue. We need you here. See, this is a position now that God's people find themselves in, all because they're doing God's work. We can understand, in part, their discouragement. We've been discouraged in similar ways. Their opposition is, has, in some ways, been our opposition. Yes, we're not building a wall, but we are God's people. And we are doing God's work as they were doing God's work. We don't talk a lot about spiritual warfare. We did a little bit at the end of Ephesians in our study of that great book. But I want you to think about opposition. I want you to think even about the opposition that Nehemiah is facing here as a spiritual battle. As a battle in unseen realities as the evil one seeks to, at any cost, derail what God is doing in the world. Because if we think in that way, if we think in the realm of the unseen, if we think in the realm of spiritual warfare, you know what effect that has on us? We can't handle this. We can't handle something that we don't see. We can handle opposition. We can take steps to handle opposition that is before us. But if this is something bigger and greater than we can see. Well, that's a whole nother issue. And it was for God's people as well. And so I want us to think this morning, what might this look like at our church? What might this look like here at Ascension? How would the enemy like to discourage and derail 
and attack God's work among us. Well, there might be discouragement within. People leaving our midst, leaving our family for one reason or another. Or maybe people not coming into our family as quickly as we would like to see them come and be part of us. Maybe finances begin to fall short and we begin to struggle on that front. We might begin to ask, is this worthwhile? Is God really in this? Can we really be used by Christ here in this area? Well, there could be discouragement without. From without, perhaps we lose our meeting place. Or something else happens outside of our control. When I was in San Diego, one of the things that that church was trying to do, they're still trying to do, is get plans submitted and and through the city planning office in order to build a new facility. A couple years back in one of the meetings with our building committee and the city planners of San Diego, the comment was made by one of the city planners as we were speaking about something, doing something with that facility. As we were pointing back to a precedent that had been made years earlier, the city planner said, yeah, but that was when we thought, when we believed that churches were actually good for the community. From a city planner. And we thought, wow, we need to pray. Because there's something bigger here than we can handle. And I know this church has had its share of opposition. I know that the enemy has come after you, has come after us. But it won't be the last time. Because God's work will face opposition. Well, What might it look like in your family? To those who are committed to doing God's work in your family, maybe you are ostracized in your neighborhood because your kids don't play sports on Sunday. Maybe you've tried to share your faith and your neighbors have recognized that you just don't get it. And now they won't talk to you. Of course, we could go on and on with the simple truth that God's work will face opposition. But if we know that, then we're not surprised by it. We might even welcome it because we know that God grows us and that God builds us through opposition. Let me remind you of a few New Testament passages. John 15. Jesus said, If the world hates you, know that it has hated Me before it hated you. If if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. 
Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. And then Jesus says in Matthew 5, pray for those who persecute you. Paul reminded Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So the simple point that I want to drive home this morning, that I want you to think about and talk about in your parish groups, is that we ought not be surprised when we are opposed for faithfulness to God and faithfulness to what He has called us to do. And how different this is from much of the gospel, the false gospel that is being preached today. The gospel is not the path of least resistance and the road to your best life. The gospel is the path to opposition. God's work will face opposition. But there's a caution here. There's a caution that I need to give here because this is not calling us, Nehemiah 4 is not calling us to become opposition seekers. To become those who are unnecessary martyrs for the faith. Just because you are experiencing some resistance, you are experiencing opposition, doesn't automatically validate what it is that you're doing. I've known some people like this, and it's destructive, and it's not good. You see, in Nehemiah 4, God's people were confident that they were doing God's work. They didn't seek opposition, but when it came, it was expected, and they knew how to deal with it. But there's more here. Because it, Nehemiah 4 doesn't just show us the problem. It doesn't just remind us of the fact that God's work will face opposition. But it gives us some of the solution as well. And, and what comes next when we are face-to-face with opposition as God's people were face-to-face with opposition. And that's our second truth. God's work will face opposition, yes. But God's work continues to move forward by prayer and preparedness. God's work continues to move forward by prayer and preparedness. Nehemiah shows himself once again to be a great leader. Remember in chapter 1, when he heard about Jerusalem and what had happened to the city, he prays. In chapter 2, when he comes to the city and he sees the gigantic task at hand. He begins with God. And now in chapter 4, when he hears these taunts, he doesn't retaliate, but what does he do? He prays. He prays urgently. He prays honestly. He prays dependently. He prays passionately. Listen to it once again in verse 4. Hear, O God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. 
Do not cover their guilt, and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. This prayer falls into the category of the imprecatory prayers. We see these sometimes in the Psalter. In fact, there's one that comes out of the period of exile in Psalm 137. It's one of the fiercest of the imprecatory prayers where the psalmist prays that the children of his enemies would be dashed on the rocks. But this prayer this morning from Nehemiah, what I want you to see in this prayer is that this isn't a prayer of revenge. This isn't coming out of a heart of anger and vindictiveness. This prayer is a prayer for justice. See, Nehemiah is pleading that God would vindicate His honor because it is God who has been offended. They have provoked you to anger. Not me, Nehemiah, to anger. They have provoked you to anger, O God. Defend your cause. This is your work. And then in verse 9, when the threats are heard again, they pray more. We've talked a lot about prayer, but this is, this is the model for us. When opposition strikes, we fall to our knees. We pray. We pray mindful of the fact that God has allowed this opposition to come to us. Mindful of the fact that God is using us. And mindful of the fact that God will be vindicated. That God's justice will be done. And so yes, we pray for justice. But you know what? This side of the cross of Jesus Christ, we already know the vindication that Nehemiah couldn't even see yet. He saw only in shadowy form. We know the justice that only Nehemiah could envision. How? Because we know Jesus. And Jesus has satisfied divine justice. And so by His grace, God makes His enemies His servants. We think of Stephen. The New Testament character Stephen, for those of you who are familiar with the Scriptures, he prayed for his enemies. He prayed for his enemies as he was being stoned. And there was one who stood watching Stephen's violent death. He stood holding the garments of those who threw stones. He was one of the recipients of Stephen's prayer. He was a man named Saul. Saul of Tarsus. A man who had eventually become so gripped by the grace of God that he would fall to his knees and become one of his greatest servants. So the lesson here is simple. When we are opposed, we pray. We pray for our enemies and we pray that God would have His way with them. Just like He had His way with Saul. 
But again, as we have seen in the story earlier, Nehemiah doesn't just let go and let God. He doesn't just pray. He walks by faith. He prepares. He sets up guards day and night. He sets up people stationed by their clan that cover the length of the work. Half of the servants are dedicated to building while the other half of them guard. And all the builders now carry some form of small arms. There's a, there's a trumpeter to announce if there is a fight or if there is a sneak attack. Oliver Cromwell, the English political and military leader of the 17th century, is famous for a quote that sums up Nehemiah's actions here in Nehemiah chapter 4. He says, put your trust in God, my boys, and keep your powder dry. See, Nehemiah doesn't have his head in the clouds. He's not so spiritually minded that he's of no earthly good. No, he's realistic about the threat, and he uses whatever means at his disposal to prepare well to face the opposition. And the Lord calls us to the same type of living. We appeal to the greatest power at our disposal, the dependence of prayer, recognizing that this opposition is more than it seems. This is in the realm of unseen reality. But then we use biblical wisdom to make the preparations necessary to deal with it. God's work continues to move forward by prayer and preparedness. One final thing to draw your attention to this morning. It's an obvious point, but I'm going to say it anyway. God's work is God's work. God's work is God's Work. See, Nehemiah doesn't just boost the morale of the builders by praying or by his outward show of strength and military organization. No, he reminds them and he motivates them by stating again what God is doing in their midst. Verse 14, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. And then when His show of strength, all His preparedness, when it actually works, He gives glory to God, not to Himself. In verse 15, it's God who has frustrated the plans of our enemies. And then in verse 20, our God will fight for us. And so I remind you this morning that this work, that our collective work together, that your walk with Christ in faithfulness is God's work. We can have confidence that God will have His way in us. See, the people of God had forgotten their focus. They had forgotten the vision that gripped them just a chapter earlier. They forgot the strength that was promised to them. And they were too easily looking at each other. They were too easily listening to the grumbles. They were too easily focused on themselves rather than focused 
on the Lord. The writer to the Hebrews knew what he was saying when he said, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Who did what? Well, he fixed his eyes on the joy that was set before him so that he could endure the cross. So as we close this morning, we anticipate the opposition. We're not surprised by it. We don't allow it to discourage us. Instead, we go dependently to the throne of grace. We entrust ourselves to Him who judges justly. And then we make plans that His work might continue to prosper. 1 Peter 2, 20-24 But if, when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in His steps. He committed no sin, Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued, entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins upon the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, we are healed. Jesus was opposed. Jesus was mocked. Jesus was jeered at like no other. And He prayed that this cup too might pass from Him, but there was no other way. And so He allowed Himself to be overcome. To be killed. This was God's work. This was God's work in Jesus. This was God's work for you and for me. This is the kind of news that ought to steal us as we walk in our Savior's path. I don't know what each of you individually are facing today. I know what you have collectively faced as a church in the past. I can't see what collectively we'll face as a church in the future. But regardless, I know that these truths are good for our hearts. God's work will face opposition. But remind yourselves that this is God's work. And then it moves forward by prayer and by preparedness for His glory, for His purposes. Amen. Let's pray. Father in Heaven, thank You for Your Word this morning. Thank You for the truth contained Father, we admit that we do easily get discouraged at so many, in so many different levels, in so many different areas as we seek to walk with our Savior, as we seek to be faithful to what He's called us to be. 
to live in righteousness, to walk in holiness, to raise our families in godliness, to be a church that loves and serves its community. Father, would You undergird us with these words of promise, these words of truth this morning. That they might be deeply embedded in our hearts that when we are faced with opposition, because we are being faithful, that we would have the grace to look to Jesus, to fix our eyes upon Him, to entrust ourselves to You who judge justly, that we would be used by You for whatever purpose You see fit. Father, we know that there are many in the world who are suffering, who are facing opposition that is so much more severe than what we are facing. As the writer to Hebrews called us to pray in Hebrews 13.3, for those who are in prison, we pray. For those in your church who are experiencing opposition like we've never experienced, would you remind them of these truths from your word as well? That your church might be built, that the gates of hell would not prevail against her. Father, this we pray in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.